All right, so we are continuing this series in the book of Hebrews. Today we're in chapter 3. We're trying to go chapter by chapter as we work through this. And so um, I know there's a lot of, lot of things to cover in each chapter. So I pray uh, today that we get comfortable, you get some coffee, get a donut, plenty of donuts out there, and um, just be ready to receive the Lord's word uh, into your heart today. The Bible tells us don't, don't get a hard heart, but to be to be ready for a soft heart to receive God's word. And so I mentioned that the Hebrew, the book of Hebrews talks about the Old Testament. So there's a lot of reference to the Old Testament. So we're going to have to unpack some things there. And so just be praying that the Lord really speaks into our hearts about that. And as Amanda said, like the, the people there, um, even though they're in dire situations, when I was there, you see the joy that they have and the hope that they have. And I was just really like mesmerized by like, how do these people have so much joy and so much hope? And I was reminded someone said that maybe American Christians have a hard time understanding the depths of the Bible or, or, or have a hard time of understanding like the teachings of Luther or uh, Martin Luther or Augustine or something like that because... Today, we have modern medicine. Like you get sick, you go get an antibiotic. You're not feeling well, you have something wrong with your heart, you can go get surgery. But in the times that Luther and Augustine were teaching, they, they didn't have antibiotics or heart surgeons. That maybe if you get sick or an infection, you may not make it. And so this idea of having eternity in our hearts all the time... It makes us focus more, right, on the Lord and helps us to, to understand the depths. And so that's my prayer today is that, that we would understand the depths of what God is teaching us. And, and I've titled this sermon, Never Give Up. And the question is, is it worth it, right? Was it worth it this morning to get out of bed when it's, you know, 12 degrees or whatever it is to come to church? Is it really, really worth it? Is it really worth it to have kids that are screaming and don't want to go and they're tired? Is it really worth it? Because I'm sure at some point we all ask that question. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it to get up early and read the Bible and pray? Is it, do I really get some type of benefit from that? And that's the question that I'm asking today for all of us. Is it worth it? And week one in chapter one, we looked at what is God's will? To understand, is this really worth it? We have to understand what is God's will for this world and for our lives. And the second week, last week, we looked at Jesus was the one and only son of God the Father and how that plays into, is this really worth it? And today, the, the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is teaching that Jesus is superior to Moses. That Jesus is superior to the Mosaic law. That he is above everything. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today. I believe in this world that we live in that in the society that we live in, that everything is focused on what is best for me. What is best for me and maybe even my family. But it really doesn't go much further than that. 
And I want to challenge you today, as you listen to the Word of God and the principles that we're pulling out from this, is this question, and I want to challenge you on that, is the Bible really teaching us to only focus on what is best, what we think is best for us, or, or what we think is best for our family only? Again, the book of Hebrews was written to a Jewish community. A Jewish community that became believers. And now they're following Jesus. Could you imagine living in that culture? Living in that society as a set apart as Christians, as followers of Jesus. They know the Old Testament, probably had the Torah memorized. They knew it all. They sang the Psalms. They lived that life and now they are Christians. And the, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. Most people would say it's Paul. Could have been Barnabas, could have been, Barnabas, could have been Apollos. Probably Paul, but was writing this letter to those people to encourage them to not give up. To keep going, that it is worth it. And that's my prayer for you, is that you would see through this, that it is worth it. That it's worth continuing to go on and on. <coughs> Excuse me. So Hebrews... We're going to read through this and we're going to break it down verse by verse. And uh, I pray that the Lord speaks to your heart. Let's, let's pray before we get into God's word. Dear Father, Lord, I pray that we would have soft hearts, that we would receive the seeds of your truth and your grace. I pray, Lord, that you speak to us the exact meaning. You would speak into us individually about what you want us to take away, what you want us to do how to know Jesus more, fall in love with him more. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So if you would turn your, your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Um, if you don't have that with you, it'll be up on the screen for you. Hebrews chapter 3 starts off this way. Therefore, again, the therefores are what was just talked about. So you'll have to go back and listen online to the sermon from last week, the therefore. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. I'm going to go on to verse 2. Who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. What an introduction, huh? Brothers and sisters. You are members of a family of God. I don't know if you ever thought of yourself that way. Now, you, some churches, you'll hear each other call each other brother and sister. We say, like, true life, we're like a family. And here, the Bible is saying, holy brothers and holy sisters. That you are a family of God. We are a family of God. As believers, we will live in heaven for eternity together as brothers and sisters, as a, as a family. And the Bible says here that you share in a heavenly calling, that you have an eternal calling by God here on this earth that will echo, echo on for eternity. As God uses you for the kingdom, the work that you do, you don't get credit, it's all God, but he does use us. He doesn't have to, but he get, we, we're, we've chosen to be used by God and the work that we do for the kingdom, a chosen work, echoes on for eternity. Isn't that amazing? 
Here it calls you, it says, holy. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. I tried this on Amanda. I said, oh, I'm not going to pick up the dishes. I'm holy. Like, I don't know. So you can tell your spouse or that you're holy. Go ahead, try it. Let's see how it goes. The Bible here says that, that you, you are holy. You ever consider yourself holy? Not a holy roller. Just holy. The people of God are holy. In the Old Testament, the only way to worship God was if you were holy. That's why there's so many rules and laws and expectations of Leviticus about how you do, how the, the priest does the sacrifice and prepares everything and everything has to be perfect in order so that you could worship God, the Jews at this time could worship God. The only way that we are holy is through a perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The only way that we can stand here together and worship God correctly is through a sacrifice so that you and I are made holy. The only way that we're holy is through Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. That's the only way possible that we can correctly worship God. We can stand here and we can confidently go to the feet of the Lord and pray and worship him. We can spend our day worshiping him. It's because of that sacrifice that Jesus made. So when the Bible says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, just as Christ, he said, you're going to do more than I, even I did because I'm going to the Father. I pray that you see yourself that way. The Bible goes on to say, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest. If you remember from last week's sermon that Jesus is the high priest. He represents us to God as our high priest, is the ultimate high priest. But here it's also referring to him as apostle. You may not think of Jesus as an apostle, like the 12 apostles that, that Jesus had following him around and on mission that he was teaching. But Jesus is also apostle because apostle means a sent out one. One that is sent out. He was sent out by the Father with a message with a mission, a heavenly calling, just as you and I. Now, we're not apostles, but we are disciples. We are followers of Jesus with the same mission. And here I want you to see in verse 2, and I want you to see this main point that echoes throughout the rest of chapter 3. And I don't, know, I don't want you to miss. There's a couple things I don't want you to miss. This is one of them. In verse 2, it says, Who, Jesus, was faithful, I underline that in my Bible, faithful to him, his father, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. And so the, Jew, the Jewish people who are now Christians, they knew and they looked up to Moses. Like Moses was the man. He wrote the five, first five books of the Bible. Like he was the guy. But Moses was known for his faithfulness. His faithfulness. Remember last, time we, last week we talked about Abraham and the hope that he had in the Lord. He was also faithful. But Moses was really known in the Bible for his faithfulness. So the author here is saying, remember, that Jesus was also faithful. So he's saying he's like Moses. 
But he goes on to say in verse 3 and 4, the author, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And the the people here, the Jewish people might have said, well, hold up. You're saying that Jesus is bigger and more important than Moses? And the author is saying, yes, that Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus built the house. Jesus is over the house. He built the house. I don't know if Jesus was a carpenter, the house, but this picture of Moses was in the house, or we can say kingdom of God, like in there, working as a servant, but Jesus is over the house. So the author here is saying that Jesus is above even Moses, worthy of more honor and glory. He is above. Do you know what you are as a Christian? Let's stay with the house analogy. You are the house. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the house. Jesus is over you. He's building you up. Right? As the house of God. We're going to look at a verse in that, with that here in just a minute. Verse 5 through 6. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house. There's that word house. As a servant. Here it is. I don't want you to miss this part. You, get, you keep saying like, you don't want to miss this part. You don't want to miss this part. This is really good. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify. To testify. He was a representative of God. Because he was testifying to the things that were to be spoken later in verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. There it is. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moses was a representative of God in testifying and boasting, here in the last part of that, boasting in this hope about God. And we are his house. What does the Bible say? We are his house if, in, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So Moses was a representative of God and Jesus was a representative of God, and you and I are representatives of God. What are we boasting in? We're boasting in the confidence that we had from the beginning. When you became a first believer, you put your faith and trust in Jesus. I pray that you were excited, that it was joyful. I know when I did, I wanted to share with people when I was 16 years old. Like I was, I was confident in the faith that I had. And the Bible here is saying, stay in that confidence. Boast in that confidence. Boast in the hope that you have. In Jesus, and as you boast in that, you're representing God. You're representing Jesus. Just as Jesus represented the Father, just as Moses represented God, you too are representative as you boast in the confidence that you had from the very beginning and the hope that you have in Jesus. So, how can you be a house of God? Well, if you boast 
in the confidence that you have, the hope that you have. That's how you can be a house of the Lord. Verse 7 through 8 as we work through this. So verse 7 through 11 is coming from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 13. And remember, I was talking to the audience that the, the, this, the Bible is not written to you. It was written to the, these group of Jews who become Christians, Hellenistic Jews. But it, was written, but it is written for you. It's written for you. There's a lot of application for all of the Bible, for you and for your life. And so Psalm 95, 7 through 13, these people that this, that this book was written to would have sung this psalm. They would have it memorized. They would sing it. And this psalm speaks specifically to a warning. The first part of the psalm is praise to the Lord. Second part of the psalm is a warning. A warning to not get a hard heart and not to lose faith. This idea of never giving up. Is it worth it? The author here is warning them, don't get a hard heart, don't lose faith. Don't be like the Israelites in the wilderness. That is the warning. And they knew exactly what that meant. The temptation that they received in the wilderness, don't be like them. So Psalm 95, 7-18 is praise to the Lord and then a warning of unbelief. I'm going to read this to you. Therefore, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You may say, well, what is going on here? What is this talking about? If you see in the very part of that, it says the Holy Spirit says. It didn't say the Holy Spirit said back then. It was written a long time ago. It says the Holy Spirit says. That means the Holy Spirit, as you read this, if you ask the Lord, like speaking to my heart about this, teach me your ways. The Holy Spirit says today, God speaks to us through his word. So the Holy Spirit says. So for us to understand this portion of this, is why I say it's going to go on a little bit longer than normal, but we have to unpack this. So in order to understand this, we have to know Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, and Deuteronomy. I say, we don't have that much time today. I'm just going to do a little overview. But if you want to go back and read and fully understand everything that's happening here, you kind of have to read parts of all those, those Bibles. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of a breakdown here. And it all starts in a place called Egypt. And I happen to have a, no one gets to watch my home videos unless I have a captive audience. So I happen to have a video of Egypt. So go ahead, Eric. <laughs> Hey guys, coming to you from, you may recognize it behind us, the pyramids from Cairo, Egypt. Such great history here, of course, in Egypt as it relates to the Bible with Moses and Joseph and even Jesus came here uh, as a child. And so we're really excited to be here and learn all about uh, Egypt, such an amazing, beautiful place. So Egypt does, ex the pyramids do exist. They're real. Any conspiracy theorists out there don't think they're real. They're real. I got another picture 
Like, if you go up very far, like, people yell at you. You get in trouble. I found that out. You can't climb the pyramids. I got, like, a third of the way up, and some guy, like, with a whip on a camel was, like, yelling at me. Um, and so they, but they do exist. I don't think moose exists because I haven't seen one. I not even at a zoo or anything. I see them on TV, but until I see one in real life, I don't think they exist. But I was kind of like the same way with pyramids. But they do, they do exist because um, I was there. The show me state, right? Um, so this story starts with Egypt. And as you know, the Israelites were slaves. They were held captive there. And God sends a messenger, a representative by the name of Moses to Israel, right? Let my, let my people go. Probably know the song or something like that. So eventually, Pharaoh lets them go. They go down to the Red Sea. The Red Sea parts. They go across. You may know the story. And then God, remember last week we talked about Abraham, that this land that God promised, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God says, I'm going to finally give you this promised land, this land of milk and honey. All you got to do is go and take it. So what do they do? They go and land of Canaan, they're there, and Moses says, I'm going to send out someone from every tribe, send out 12 people, they're going to go into the land, they're going to spy and figure out what's going on, and then we're going to take the land. 12 people go out, they're there for 40 days. They all come back. Now, Caleb and Joshua, they come back with grapes. They're like, this land is amazing. There's so many grapes. It's so fertile. It is a land of milk and honey. We can trust the Lord. There's like the, the Bureau of Tourism in uh, Israel. Like their symbol is Caleb and Joshua holding a, a rod with grapes, the first tourist in the area. They, they are holding these grapes and coming back. They said, hey, God's blessing this. This is what God wants. The other 10 come back and say, then we're like grasshoppers to these people. Like they're, they're big. They're scary. Like there's no way we can overtake these people. Because of their unfaithfulness, God made them wander around in the desert one year for every day that they were in Canaan. They wandered around in the desert for 40 years for their punishment, for their unfaithfulness. It's a warning to us about unfaithfulness to God's promises and to His Word. They wander around in the desert and they come to the end of the 40 days and they're getting ready to go into the land again. The people are grumbling as they've been doing for 40 years and God says nobody from that generation is going to enter except for Caleb and Joshua, they were faithful. They'll be able to enter into the land of milk and honey. But everyone else is going to fall. They're going to die. A new generation is going to come up. Then they'll enter into the promised land. Before they enter into the promised land, the people are complaining, moaning and groaning. Like God's been feeding the manna from heaven. He's been proving that he is God, moaning and groaning and complaining that there's no water. Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, they want water. God says, go and speak to a rock. And it'll bring forth water. Moses, out of his anger, went and he smited or hit the rock with his staff. And the staff means the anger or or judgment of God. 
He hits the rock two times with his staff. The water comes out. The people drink. Because of that, God tells Moses, you're not going to enter into the promised land. You say, well, that's really harsh. And if you think about it, God told him, he said, go speak to the rock. He didn't speak to the rock. He hit it. It made the people think that it was God's judgment on them. God didn't want them to think that they were being judged. And as a representative, you and I as representatives, we are the house. We're supposed to tell people about our hope, a joyful hope that we have. We're supposed to represent God correctly, well. The, the, the grace that we have, the mercy of God on our lives because of Jesus. Like We don't deserve it. So if we're going to someone in judgment, like you're being judged, looking down on people, I don't think we're representing God very well. God didn't say go and judge people and hit them with a stick. He said no. He said go and speak to them. Speak to them about who my son Jesus is with encouragement and joy and the hope that you have. Represent me well. And because of that, Moses didn't get to enter into the promised land. Now, I have another video, last one, I promise, um, about, about that specific location. Hey guys, I'm coming to you from a really special place. We just flew into uh, Jordan to Amman, the capital A-M-M-A-N. And uh, so we're really excited to come to this first place. And this is called Mount Nebo. And where you can find this in reference to the Bible is in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32 and in Numbers chapter uh, 27. And so this is the place that Moses, at an age of 120 years old, you know, they were wandering around in the desert. Um, God had not shown them that because of their faith, but he promised the, Moses that he would see uh, the promised land. Now, when Moses came here to, uh, to Mount Nebo, uh, God says, you're not going to go into the promised land. You're going to die right here. So this is where uh, Moses died. But he came here and he looked into, Amanda's going to pan around, uh, but he looked into uh, the promised land. And it's just so much to cover here. I can't cover everything that you're seeing in this valley. Um, but to the left is the Dead Sea. Um, also from here, um, you can almost see uh, Jerusalem. It's a little bit too far away, but it's, and it's hazy right now. Um, but also uh, Sodom is down there. Um, Jericho is down there. And so Joshua uh, takes the Israelites into the valley. Um, of course, march around Jericho and those sort of things. So this is just uh, really so much history right here. Um, in this valley, looking down from Mount Nebo. You see the smoke, the little smoke cloud? I told somebody there, I was like, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah is still on fire. <laughs> They're like, really? I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Not really. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to reread verse 8 through 11, and I think this will make a little bit more sense now that we've kind of read over that. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That was the rebellion about wanting the water and 
on the day on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years therefore I was provoked as Moses was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts they have no have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest so I pray that that makes more sense to you now and and my prayer is that you, you would heed that warning as well about the authors saying, be careful about unbelief. Be really, really careful about not trusting the Lord. Even when times are hard, you feel like you've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years, like don't lose your faith. Because God will test your faith. It's going to happen. It's probably going to happen multiple times. And each time it's probably going to get harder. But trust me, you, you can trust the Lord. He is trustworthy. In verse 11 it says, And I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. All the people who were not faithful all died in the wilderness. Even Moses couldn't even promise, enter the promised land except for Caleb and Joshua and this new generation. And what I want to point out here is something that they call types and shadows. A type is a representative of something in the Old Testament, of something that's going to come, or a shadow of Something in the Old Testament is just a shadow of something that is to come in the New Testament. And here we see a lot of shadows or a lot of types. First one I want to mention to you, if you kind of like geeking out on some of these things about the Bible. I know that I do. It's kind of interesting. But there is no letter J in the Greek or Hebrew Bible. So Jesus in the Hebrew was Yeshua. In the Greek Bible, it's Joshua. In English, it's Jesus with the J. Some would argue we shouldn't call him Jesus, but whatever. So, do you see the, the type or the shadow that only Joshua, not Jesus, but it's a shadow of what's to come. Only, only Joshua, Joshua could lead the people into Israel. That we were slaves to sin in a foreign land. This earth is not our home. And that God needed to send a representative to us to free us. And that Moses represented a God and then Jesus represented a God and in our unbelief in this world, we wander around in the desert, complaining and trying to figure things out instead of trusting the Lord. And only through faith in God and Jesus is what gets us to the promised land. So for the application for this, and really the application is you have to come back next Sunday because... Chapter 4 is the application. It is rest. Resting like in the promised land, like milk of honey. Like we should be able to rest today in Jesus. But I also want to tell you that the application is that Jesus is above the law. He's above the Mosaic law. He came to fulfill the law. <clears throat> and that you cannot follow the law perfectly. And I don't want you to go back trying to please God just by your works. That if you believe in Jesus, you will have good works, but it's not through works that save you. It's only 
through faith in Christ alone. And I ask this question, would you rather have a relationship based on rules and laws that you're trying to follow from God? Or would you rather have a relationship of love, that God loves you? I think I'd rather have that relationship on love. So I ask the question, is it worth it? In verse 12, it says, and we're going to finish this last part really quick, so don't worry. But verse 12 says, take care, brothers, lest there be, and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's a warning to not be like the Israelites. So how is your heart today? What is God saying to you? How are you combating unbelief in your life? And in verse 13, it tells us how to guard against that. It says, but exhort, encourage one another every day, as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It doesn't say encourage one another when you come to church on Sunday. It says encourage, exhort one another every single day. If you're on the Facebook Messenger app and it annoys you, I'm sorry. Like I'm praying that it exhorts and encourages you every day. Like It says to do it every day. If it annoys you, just mute it or, well, I don't know, it's fine. But, but just try to follow what the Lord says, the Bible says to do. Like The only way to combat an unfaithful, hard heart is that you and I would encourage one another each day. Just say, hey, there are times I want to give up. Sometimes I don't know if this is good enough. There are times that I struggle with sin and it's so, it's so hard. Like you confess that to the Lord, you confess it to me. Like I, I promise you, a lot of the power is taken away when you tell me, like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Exhort one another daily. If you believe the Bible to be true, that's, that's the way to do it. As Christians, as followers, we're family. We encourage one another to keep the fight. Because sin is exciting for a season, right? There's joy in it for a season. Really enticing. It's kind of like whitewater rafting. Like it's a lot of fun and exciting until you hear the, that sound. Like, what is that sound ahead of me? Oh, it's a waterfall. Um, and it gets a little destructive. So that, that there is that allure, there is that struggle, and we need to encourage one another. And when we fail, we, we, we pray for each other, encourage one another. That's what we do as a family. Confess our struggles. In verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It says, if you hold your original confidence today, no, it says until the end. Paul talks about running the race that you've been given. It's a marathon. Keep the faith. And lastly, as we wrap this up, verse 14 through 19 says, for you have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold original confidence. As it is said, verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, God is speaking to you through his word. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Trust in him. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was the provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned 
whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And I want you to hear this finally, lastly, verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter the promised land because of unbelief. Unbelief. That was the only thing that kept them from entering into the promised land. So don't believe the lie that tomorrow will be the same as today and never have to face eternity. To believe and to enter into the promised land, no matter what fears that you have. And remember that the Israelites committed many, many sins, same as you and me. But there was only one sin that kept them from the promised land, and that was the sin of unbelief. Blasphemy in the Holy Spirit is what we say in the New Testament. The only sin that keeps you is the sin of unbelief. Not putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did for us. If you've never done that today, I would just encourage you to say, Lord, I'm a sinner just like the Israelite people in the wilderness. The only thing that he judged Moses on, the only thing that he judged the people on was unbelief. So Lord, I want to put my trust and faith in you no matter what comes my way. But I also want you to be encouraged that if you have sinned and sinning, God can still use you. After, after Moses sinned in that time of rebellion at the end of the 40 years, God continued to use Moses. God even buried Moses himself. So don't think for a moment that God doesn't love you because of your sin. All he wants you to do is believe and put your faith in his son, Jesus. Trust him. He is trustworthy. Don't give up. Keep going. It is worth it. Let us pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your reminder of how much you love us. Thankful that you, that you remind us that Jesus was perfect. He was a perfect representative of you. He was a perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect high priest. He's above the angels. He's above Moses. He's above Abraham. He built the house. He, he spoke and everything that we know left into existence. And all you ask us to do is confess that we are sinners and to put our faith in Jesus and what he did for us. And we can stop wandering around in the desert. We can enter into the land of milk and honey where we can rest and we can have assurance and we can have that confident hope that there is an eternity waiting for us to spend with Jesus who loves us. Lord, thank you for this hope, this confidence I pray we hold to that confidence that we've had from the beginning. That you help us as a church to encourage one another. To keep going. Keep running the race that God has given you. You can make it. You can do it. Lord, thank you for the simple truth of the gospel. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, help us to know you more, love you more, and all God's people said.